Lord, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord. You're our rock and our redeemer, and we praise you. In your son's name, amen. Well, I know that one of the um, uh, icebreaker questions today was about New Year's resolutions. Well, I don't make New Year's resolutions because I never keep them. And so I find it just adds to guilt, and I start the new year with a lot of guilt that I don't need. I have plenty of that without adding any on. And so um, I don't normally make resolutions, but I do have four children, and at Christmas time, you know, they're all adults. Two of them got married this year. And when they come to visit, um, they do what I used to do with my siblings, which is they talk about their parents together. And if you have older children, um, you know that. And if your children aren't old enough for that yet, well, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> I used to do it with my siblings about my parents, although I didn't usually share our um, insights with them. Um, but we certainly had a lot of discussions uh, among my siblings as a family of four, four kids. And I have four kids, and um, they, they do discuss their father and I and what we do, what we don't do, what we could do better. It's very, very entertaining. <laughs> and so uh, when uh, my son from California, who just got married in um, May last year, uh, came at Thanksgiving time, uh, he happened to mention that he noticed that I say yip and nope a lot. And apparently I do it because I'm expressing some opinion that I have. And I have lots of opinions, which I do know that. And uh, so if somebody says something, I'll just, without even thinking, if I agree with it, I'll just give a big yip, and then I might add a little extra. And then if it's something I don't agree with, I have a horse snort that I do that I won't try to do now. But, and then a big nope. And then I might add on you know, some insight of my own. So um, I, it, they, my children are very nice. Uh, they're very loving. They're very gracious. They're very forgiving. They've... Um, you know, they're, they're nice, grown-up kids. Um, and it, he was, he was kind of gently poking fun at me about my yips and my nopes and actually said that he started doing it too, and his wife pointed that out to him. So, but I started thinking about it, and it's something that, I, that God has kind of been putting in my heart, that I, I don't need to share my multitude of opinions with others so readily, that they probably can get through their day without knowing exactly what I think on any subject. So that is a resolution that I'm trying to now keep. And I started actually this after Thanksgiving when he mentioned that. I thought, gee, you know, is that the woman I really want to be remembered as, as the yipper and the noper? You know? <laughs> so I'm trying to hold it in, and um, it's, it's a strain. And I, I realize it is hard to change. It is hard to change fundamentally our attitudes or our actions uh, they get ingrained in us. Part of them are what we're born with in our personalities. You know, you see that in yourself and others that some kids, you know, come out of the womb and they're ready for a fight and other kids just, you know, is sucking their thumb and just waiting for the ride. And so you don't know who you're going to be. Um, and then as you get older, you can kind of get stuck in some of those ruts, some of those patterns of behavior. So I do have a resolution to change, but it's, it's not going that well, I have to say. And every time I yip or nope, I immediately think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, but I, I realize it's too late. I already did it. So I'm trying to restrain myself, and I'm realizing I need God's help. I need grace. And what is grace, and how do you find it? 
Well, grace has a very general meaning. meaning. Uh, the, the one that usually people think about when they're talking about spiritual grace, the grace of God, is unmerited favor, that you're, you're getting blessings uh, that you don't deserve, that you can't earn, that are being given by God out of his great love for you. And so what it means is that you have to accept the fact that it's pretty impossible to kind of change on your own. I mean, sometimes we manage to do it for a while, sometimes for a long while. I know people who have changed, you know, habits like smoking or maybe start exercising or whatever, but it's hard to change the deep-rooted attitudes that we have or actions that we just go to as second nature, and we need help. And God is saying that uh, he's the one that's going to help us in a lasting, eternal way, that he's the one who's going to renew our minds and change us so that we are more like Jesus and less like our natural selves. That's the whole goal. That's why Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that's going to transform us uh, from the inside out. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. He's working on us now. If you know him and if are following him, then the Holy Spirit is within you, and it's part of the Holy Spirit's job is to help us change day by day. But it's a long process, and we're working towards the goal, but we won't finish until we're, we're with Jesus, and then we're in heaven, and we're completely new creatures in him. The, the work is done. But in the meantime, we need to rely on God's grace to get us through. And um, we're not the only ones that need to change. And one of the best examples of change is the Apostle Paul, who started out being named Saul. He was a well-known Jew. He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the Jewish community. And when the word came out from the disciples that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and was alive and well, and that uh, we are all called to receive his salvation and his forgiveness of our sins, and that he would also raise us up from the dead, just as he was raised up, if we would put our trust in him and believe in him. And when uh, Saul heard this, he said, oh, that's, that's heresy, that's terrible. And he went about persecuting Christians, along with a large number of other Jewish people who felt the same way. Because these were all Jews proclaiming this new savior, this Messiah, as Jesus Christ, and they, they didn't believe it. So Saul was part of that, and he felt he was doing the right thing by persecuting Christians who were proclaiming Christ as the risen Savior. And uh, he thought he was doing the right thing until uh, one day when he's actually, he had gotten permission to go find some Christians in Damascus and arrest them for this heresy that they were proclaiming. And he's, he's uh, riding down the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden there's a blinding light, and it's so blinding it just knocks him off his horse. And his companions can see the light, and they can hear the voice, but... Um, they don't know what's happening. And he hears uh, this voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And so he is, you know, when you hear the uh, phrase, you know, um, blinded by the light, well, that's what happened to, to Saul. He was actually, he became blind. And they had to lead him into Damascus. And he, he didn't know exactly what had happened, but he knew what he had heard and who had spoken to him. And so he waits there for a few days, and uh, God actually puts it on a man's heart to go and uh, meet with Paul and pray over him so that he gets his eyesight back. The man doesn't want to go because, as he points out to God, um, this is a guy who's killing Christians. I really don't want to go see him. But God says, I've already prepared him. He's had a vision that you 
are going to be coming to pray over him. So he's expecting you, so go and do it. And he does, and Saul gets his sight back, and he goes off, and he learns what it means to be a Christian. And he changes his name to Paul. He has a totally new beginning. So Paul then becomes a follower and apostle of Jesus, and his life is never the same after that. And he talks about, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, about how uh, after he'd been following Christ for a while, this is a few years after his conversion, that uh, he had this experience, he said it was sort of a vision, kind of, it was real, he didn't quite know how to describe it, but he, he had these wonderful revelations that God gave him. He called it kind of going up to the third heaven. Something very spiritual happened to him that was pretty spectacular. And he said that he was shown things that he couldn't even talk about. Um, but he said that um, he didn't want to be the kind of person who would boast about having that kind of spiritual experience, so he wasn't really going to talk about that. But he said that one thing that did happen is that he got this thorn in his side. He said a messenger of Satan uh, came, and he had this thorn in his side, and um, that he asked three times for God to remove the thorn, and God did not remove it, but God did speak to him. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we don't know what that thorn in Paul's side was. He doesn't tell us. Some people think it was some sort of physical problem. Uh, some maybe it was some kind of attitude he had, or maybe something he had done. Satan is the accuser, and I can imagine if a messenger from Satan came to torment him, it would be through accusations, probably something like, oh, you think you're such a hot guy with God, you know, he's showing you these revelations, but what about this, you know, and reciting something that Paul had thought or said or done, most likely, some weakness of his. And uh, Paul couldn't change, he couldn't get rid of that weakness, so he's asking God to take it from him. But God says, no, he's not going to remove that weakness. What he's going to do is come alongside him and provide the strength where Paul is weak. And Paul says, the next thing he writes in 2 Corinthians is, he said, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. And this is the same thing for us. I don't know what the new year is going to bring for you. Um, there's, I'm sure, going to be sadness. There usually is. Uh, there's going to be joy. There usually is. There's going to be times of great uh, strength where you'll feel renewed, and you'll feel confident that God is with you, and you'll feel his grace upon you, and you'll be very aware of it. But then there'll be other times when you feel completely weak, and you're wondering if his grace is sufficient, if he's going to help you in your weakness, how things are going to change, how are you going to survive whatever it is you're going through. And how do we stay close to God? How do we draw near and experience his strength in the midst of our weakness? How are we, like Paul, able to rejoice even in hardship or difficulties? How is it that we can rejoice when we're weak because we know that God is going to provide the strength we need through his own presence, through his spirit? And we need to draw near to him. You know, the scripture says that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. We need to pursue him and trust that he is faithful and will keep his promise to come alongside us and provide the strength we need where we're weak. 
and that he won't forsake us, that he'll stand um, close by and help us because of his great love for us. And you know, the whole idea of grace that it's unmerited favor means that you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy of it, that God provides it because he loves you and he wants you to know that love and he wants you to be confident in that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we need to remind each other that we are loved and that it's not because of something we've done, it's not because of something we haven't done, but it's simply because it's his nature. And we just came through Christmas and celebrated the fact that God himself has entered into his own creation and became one of us and didn't come with his power and his glory but came vulnerable as a baby the same way we start out in a place where uh, the king wanted to kill him. And thousands of babies actually died because he couldn't figure out where Jesus was. We thought he'd kill everyone under the age of two, just hoping to get this, this king of kings and lord of lords that the wise men had told him about. So Jesus came into the world in a very precarious time, in a very precarious situation. Um, and he gave up all that glory that was his. He came into a creation that didn't even recognize him. And one of the mistakes I think sometimes, too, we can make at Christmas time is to kind of forget that... Um, he didn't begin as a baby. He, he was already God. It's God himself that entered into his own creation, that Jesus was there from the beginning, and all, everything is created through him and held together through him. And so he left that behind, that glory, and came into a creation that didn't even recognize him and would try to kill him, and it ultimately lead him to the cross. So when you wonder about whether God loves you or not, that's what you have to fall back on, is that Christ came, that he left everything, all that glory that was his, and entered into his own creation just to show that he loves us. So that's that unmerited favor. We didn't earn that. It's something he freely gave. So we can rest quietly in him and trust him. And we can go freely before God without fear. You know, uh, Queen Esther was the famous queen, Jewish queen in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, God designs us for a reason. And so Sometimes he gives women uh, and men, you know, really wonderful physical beauty. And Esther had been given that gift. But he had a purpose for her. And that purpose was that her beauty would attract the attention of a king. And she would save the whole Jewish nation because of that beauty. She, um, the king was looking for, uh, he was not a Jew, but he was looking for a new bride. And so they combed the whole kingdom and uh, found all the, the pretty girls and they took him aside and checked him for moles. You had to be have perfect skin and perfect teeth and be perfect. And she fit the category, Esther did, along with a bunch of other women. And they gave him beauty treatments for months. And then when they were all ready and uh, all set, they paraded him before the king. And he chose Esther as his queen. But he didn't know she was Jewish. Um, but he loved her. And uh, they were, I guess, happy together. Uh, but then uh, she, was, uh, she had an uncle that warned her that um, there was a man trying to uh, have all the Jews killed, and the only way they could be saved is if she went to the king and brought it to his attention. And uh, she had never told the king that she was a Jew, so that was a bit of a problem. And she hadn't seen the king for a few months, so that was a bit of a problem. And the king uh, would actually kill anyone who approached him in his throne room without his permission. And so um, you didn't just walk into the, the throne room and say, I want to talk to you, including uh, being his wife. 
And so she wasn't sure if she would be received or not. And if he didn't receive her when she showed up unannounced at his throne room, she, she could be immediately killed unless he extended his rod out and said, no, it's okay. So she wasn't sure how he was going to react. It was a huge risk. But she did it. And um, he received her. And when she told him the plot, then uh, it also told him that she was a Jew as well. Uh, he was upset about that and stopped the plot and killed the man who was going to try to have the Jews killed. So she is an example of someone who took a risk and uh, before the king. But for us, you know, it's a great example that she had to worry about approaching the throne of the king. We are children of God, and he says that when we uh, follow him, that he adopts us as children and gives us all the rights that a child of a king would have, and that we can approach him freely without fear. And so it's important to remember that, that God is the God of the universe, but he has said, you're my daughter. Come and speak with me. And scripture talks about in the Old uh, Testament, you know, come let us reason together. If your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. He knows what we're like, that we struggle, that we're weak. And he's saying, you know, come draw near to me, come approach me without fear, as a child would with a parent, because I love you. So don't try to hide from God wherever you're feeling weak, but come to him with your weakness and let him come alongside and express his strength and uh, share his grace with you. So um, I just want to um, remind you that we're not alone. And also that the fact that we can't visibly see God now is temporary. We will see him face to face and know him as we're already been fully known when we die and we're with him. In the meantime, he's created this body here of fellow believers that he empowers through his spirit so that we are now Jesus' feet, we're his hands, uh, we're his listening ear, we're, we're his functioning body here on earth so that when people look at the body of Christ, they can see who Jesus is, ideally. And sometimes we're not that great about it. We're sort of like Frankenstein's monster. We're kind of lurching around. But he's saying, you know, that I'm gifting you with spiritual gifts so that you can encourage one another, you can minister to each other, you can uphold each other, and also be a light to the world and salt to the earth. So he's given us each other, and uh, we can extend grace to each other and forgiveness to each other just as he is with us, which is an important part of it, is to make sure that uh, we are giving out that same mercy and grace and love to others that he's giving to us. And that um, whatever weakness we're going to experience this year, God is going to be with us. And whatever trouble you're going to experience this year, God is going to be with you. And it'll be like Paul said, that he delights in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. So this is true for him. This is a man who um, his whole life after he followed Jesus was full of uh, trouble. He uh, lists it in the Bible. He talks about the fact that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was jailed numerous times, and uh, finally um, he ends up being killed for his faith, and he knows that's going to happen in Rome. So he knows his life is not his own. He's already given it to Jesus, and he's followed him faithfully. But he doesn't expect it all to be perfect. He knows that there's going to be trouble. And he knows also, though, that God will be faithful in that trouble and that God will come alongside him and strengthen him where he's weak. And so he's in this companionship, in this journey um, that he refers to as a race at one time, that he is 
headed to the finish line. And if you ever ran a marathon, which I have not, never done and never will, that's not a resolution, but you know that um, it's a long journey. And you go up Heartbreak Hill, and a lot of people collapse there. It's up, it's hilly, and you're tired. And uh, I guess it's not the first 20-some miles that really kill you. It's the, like the last 6.2. I guess it's the point two that really gets you uh, getting to the finish line. And so, you know, Paul says that, you know, that he, he, uh, he ran the race. He didn't quit. And it's important that we run the race, too, and not quit. And just trust that wherever we're feeling weak, that God is going to come alongside and provide the strength that we need. So let me just uh, close this in prayer here, and we'll have another song. And also, if you would like prayer, if you're experiencing some difficulties or feeling particularly weak and not experiencing God's strength and presence, then we can uh, pray for you over on the right over here afterwards. Father God, we just ask that your grace would be upon us, Lord. We thank you that it is because of your love for us that we receive it, not because we've earned it, not because we're um, uh, deserving, but simply because of your love and your choosing to give it to us. We just ask that that uh, truth would integrate our souls and our spirits, Lord, and that we would understand it and trust and rely on you for whatever it is we're going to face today and this year, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.